I had climbed 28,000 meters. If you do it twice, it will cost you about 1.5 million US dollars. Sold my home and everything I had to get enough money. The most challenging has been the accident we had on K2. We didn't know that he was dead before we came down. So on the way down, we have to pass him and we see that he is dead. People blaming us for that and we were there and we know how much we tried to save him. And it's a very, very dangerous now. We know that. Everyone knows that. Thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. I know you've just finished a very long journey, so you must be exhausted. How are you? Yeah, I'm okay. It's more busy to be home and more tiring to be home than to be up in the mountain, actually. What have you sort of been up to since you've been back? Is it just a lot of sort of interviews, a lot of meetings? Um, what has yeah. been causing the exhaustion? Yeah, most is just very busy with meetings and yeah journalists and interviews and, and we have this uh, case on K2 that has been of course taking all the time now for me and the whole team so um, yeah it's been super busy. Christine where are you currently based? Um, well I don't have any place uh, I sold my home and, and left for this project in, in 2022 so I don't have a home but I am, right now I am with my boyfriend in the middle part of Norway. I'm from the northern part of Norway myself, so my family is up, up north and we are in the middle part. That's beautiful. I think I was trying to think back on how I first came across you. I think maybe I was watching Nim Dai's sort of Netflix show and then I saw him sort of do the 14 peaks and then I started searching about other climbers. And I think that's how I came yeah. across you. I think you maybe you've broken some world records then as well. Yeah. And then that's sort of how yeah. you came into sort of my field of vision. Mm, yeah. What did you do before 2022, Christine? Uh, I was climbing and did some ski expeditions. So I did that uh, since I quit my job in 2019. And yeah, since then I have just been out and climbing and traveling. And then prior to that in 2019, were you working? Were you like, what did you do for a living? And then how did you then choose to get into skiing and then get into climbing? Yes, I was a leader in a furniture company and I was working a lot for many years. And one day I got an email and the next day I went to my office and I said that I'm quitting and the next day I quit. And uh, the plan then was to take one year off, but uh, now it's already been four and a half. What was that email that catalyzed that decision? <laughs> yeah, no, it wasn't any big thing at all. It was just one small thing about like a, a warehouse. Um, but it was just me realizing it won't be what I'm working for. Whatever I do here, it won't work. And I felt that for a while and then uh, decided to, to quit. Did you have experience climbing mountains prior to 2022? Not really. I had been on Kilimanjaro in 2015 with my job. So I won this trip in 15 and between there, I was just running in the mountains. I didn't do any high mountains or or climbing, I was just running in the mountains and did skiing. Interesting. And, and what made you want to go for this world record? Mm, yeah, that came after my Everest in Lutze in 2021. 
So I did both of them in, then it was record time, uh, 12 hours. And I was uh, sitting in this quarantine hotel room in, in Oslo and had felt for a long time that this sport and this industry and this, um, yeah, it was very far from equal. And of course, I knew what NIMS did in 19. And I was thinking, okay, the best way to change something is to show that we are just as strong as the men are. And then I decided, okay, let's try to do it. And sold my home and everything I had to get enough money. Because it's very, very expensive. Then, uh, yeah, I got the 12 last year, 2022 and uh, didn't get the permit to the last two in Tibet. And then this spring we got it and yeah, made it uh, made it to summits there first. And then all this, the rest this year. So that was good. What was the process of getting the permits for those last two? And was there a reason why you didn't try to get the permit before mm-hmm. at the very beginning when you first tried? Yeah, we tried from the start, but this was early 2022 and COVID was still uh, a pretty big issue. So we knew all the way because we knew NIMS also had problem with, especially Shishikongma. So we knew this was going to be an issue. So we tried from the start to work on, on the visa. And the, how to get it is that you need two things. You need a permit to climb the mountain and you need visa into China. So it's two things you need to get in there. And uh, in 2022, it was uh, COVID. And we knew that in the end because we had a good dialogue and we had good contacts inside uh, Tibet and China. We knew how strict it still was to get in there uh, because of COVID. And then we uh, got the permits in February, but we still needed a visa to enter China. So we got that in April, and then we started this year. How long was it from when you finished the 12th peak and when you got your visa? Um, it was from, we were finished the uh, 22nd of September with Manaslu last autumn, and then we had five weeks to break the record. So it was good time to take the record in 22 also, but uh, uh, we didn't, and then... Uh, it, we got the, the information that we had the permit in February, but April we get get the visa also because you need the visa also to enter China. Wow. So that means you finished the 12th peaks on September, then you had the six months. No, actually, this would be around September, so four, so eight months. And then you did another 14. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> How did you do that? Like most people would have been finished in September after doing 12 peaks and in eight months you did it again. Yeah, I know. It's, yeah, it's been very hard. What was the hardest part of the journey, Christine? Mm, I think the hardest part has been uh, <laughs> all, all the other things, uh, everything else that happened and all the logistics and all the finding enough money for the project and uh, yeah, of course, uh, all these uh, other things that we have to handle uh, with uh, social media. And uh, yeah, so it's been more about that than the mountains. Of course, it's hard to climb climb mountains too, but uh, it's just like you get physical tired. So it's different. Christine, how did you go ahead and 
learn how to plan the 14 peaks, figure out the weather, the best timing, logistics, social media, getting sponsorships. Did you do that all on your own? And did you have experience doing that? Like, how did you do that in, in the last two, three years? <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't. I just had to, to try and try and try. And it's been a lot of work to, to get it done, not just the mountains, but like everything else. And most has been just to try and to go around and ask and try to learn from the companies or from Sherpas or from other people that have got sponsorship or uh, so it's been uh, it's been a very hard job uh, and a lot of work to to get it done when you went about talking to companies asking for sponsorships what was the story or what sort of was a vision that would sort of allow them to see what you wanted and have them want to help you yeah but it's very very hard to get sponsorship uh, to things like uh, like this very very hard um it involves some risk and uh, this mountain isn't like the if it was playing football it would have been much easier <laughs> so um yeah it's, it's it's not easy to to get that and i still have uh, paid uh, a lot myself to to manage to do this how did you go about choosing and forming that the team you had the sherpa team how did you pick meet them mm. oh it was a little bit coincidence uh, actually all of the how it ended and 21 i um it was my first 8000 meters i wanted to go with like a very serious uh, company so i went with uh, um garrett madison in madison mountaineer and he's great and very experienced and i think that was a good place to start for me and there i met uh, the sherpa that i climbed with in 2022 and he moved to another company so then I decided to climb with that company and we had a lot of problems with the company as we climbed and during the autumn and in the end they said they couldn't help me anymore with the permit and the visa to China and to the last two mountains and I knew that NIMS did this project with seven summit tracks so last autumn I, I changed to that company and they said okay we can we can help you to get the permit and then at least we knew that they were able to do it in 19 and then I went with them and I knew they had good Sherpas also so in March when we started to climb on on Manaslu I met uh, Lama the Sherpa I had this year and he didn't uh, speak much English at all and I didn't speak Nepali or Sherpa <laughs> so but we understood each other and after some times we decided okay let's try try to finish together. Uh, so yeah, so we we decided to continue uh, together. And of course, we don't know if you are able to finish together until the last mountain because things can happen and one can get injured or get too tired or, or something. But uh, yeah, very happy that we managed to, to finish together. That's beautiful. Besides, you know, wanting to show that you know, women are strong and women can do these things. Like, what was that that big push for you to sell your house and go all in? And you funded majority of this or, or like a large amount. Like, what was that drive? Well, where did it come from? 
Yeah, and right now I'm wondering myself. <laughs> and I have, uh, because it, it's been hard to do this uh, two years in a row, not just like the physical hard and, and climbing them all over again. It's 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 hard to climb this 8,000 meter, but also like to be away from my family for the second year and missing like Christmas and national holidays and missing so much home also. So it's been, it's been very hard to do it uh, twice, it has. How do you think or, or what, allowed you to do it in such a quick period doing the 14 peaks in around 90 days was it just great weather great team what was the thing that helped you the most i think the most the most thing like the main thing is is to be a good team because it's a teamwork to make it happen and if you're not like a really good team you won't make it for sure and it also occurs with it's me and it's me and lama but it's also the team that we have in base camp and the team we have in Nepal and the team we have in Norway because it's so much more than the climb that needs to be organized and fixed and planned and logistics. So we, we need a good team uh, also on the ground. That's beautiful. And then Christine, what sort of, I know you sort of do a lot of running and that's sort of the next chapter, I guess. Tell me a bit about running and then sort of your upcoming next chapter. Yes, I, I love to run, actually, more than to climb and ski. So now I'm signed up for some races in the mountain already next weekend and the weekend after. And yeah, I think that's going to be great to do something different. And it's possible to do have good time outside in the mountains and still live a little bit more normal than you can do with these 8,000 meters. How do you sort of handle or how have you been handling sort of maybe the stress or pressure has it been tough getting back into normal life like has that been or what's been challenging or has it not been challenging yeah the most challenging has been the accident we had on k2 and how it affected all of us but also all these false accusations in the media and in social media and people blaming us for that and we were there and we know how much we tried to save him and of course when people are threatening us and saying that we did murder him and and yeah it's not uh, okay and it's absolutely not nice to to come back to that especially when we we wasn't even in the film that is published <laughs> and we tried for hours to save him so uh, so it hasn't been very nice to to come back and it's been very busy and, and trying to clear up in what actually happened up there i haven't been up to date with that incident what what happened in k2 yeah the, the, that's here it's been uh, it's been just about that for especially for for me because people blame me for that uh, i think for the rest of the team they are not getting so much as that i get so um uh, we were on k2 the last mountain it's a very very dangerous mountain we know that everyone knows that and we uh, climbed from camp three this year last year we climbed from camp four the conditions below camp three this year was much much better than last year last year we had a lot of rock falls because the mountain was very dry this year it was a lot of snow so when we started the summit push from camp three and when we reached the bottleneck under this very very big serac hanging over we um, suddenly stops up we have six people in front of us in the queue we have been passing a lot of people 
but from there it's not possible to pass. So we were behind these six people. And then suddenly it stops up and, and number two in the line has fallen and he is hanging upside down in the rope. Uh, it's very, very dangerous to be there um, in, in many ways, falling and ice coming down from the big Serac. And yeah, it's, it's very dangerous. And we knew that the fixing team were above because we did see them uh, go around the corner of this big Serac. And this number one in this line, he was uh, a little bit more far behind. And we tried to scream for him to, to come back to see if he could help. And then number three in this line put up an ice anchor because he was hanging the rope down. So the rope was down with him. I think everyone was afraid that everyone would fall down. And then when he's trying to put up the ice anchor, he also fell uh, because the condition there is very, very bad. And it's a very narrow trail like this. And we didn't see actually when this guy Hassan fell, but uh, the snow condition was like very hard to walk on here uh, on the trail. And if you fall, it's straight down. So um, then he fell, but he, he managed to get up this guy number three in the line and then uh, I said to Lama we need to try to do something and we clipped around these uh, people we had in front of us and Lama went into this guy hanging upside down and he tried to turn him around but didn't manage and he didn't have a down suit and he didn't have gloves and he didn't have oxygen uh, and then we decided to do another plan to get him up and we put a rope on Lama and Lama climbs up with an ice axe. It's pretty steep and, and this narrow trail and he climbs up and put up a new rope there and put the rope down to Hassan and also get Hassan's friend to come back to the trail. And then Gabriel, uh, our camera guy, went into Hassan again and with the rope down and Gabriel down and Lama and the other guy up, we managed to turn him around and get him up. At this point, we have been there already one and a half hour about. And we see a very big avalanche coming on the side of the Serac. And we are, we are safe where we are standing, but uh, it's pretty big and it's close. And we know that the fixing team is there. And... Um, so we get a message on the radio that the fixing team have problems. And we decided, okay, let's split up. So Gabriel and another Sherpa came up from 8K and Hassan's friend continued to work on getting Hassan up. And me and Lama continues to the fixing team to check if they were okay. And um, Gabriel works on Hassan for another hour to try to save him. And he give him oxygen and he give him hot water to try to to see if they can bring him down but uh, he's unable to walk and it's not possible to carry someone from from there and it's very dangerous to to stay there and to try to get someone down from there it's um, impossible especially in the condition we had this year and then Christine when Hassan was flipped, was he hanging off and he was just hanging on the side and, and there was just ropes and he was just upside down for one or two hours? 
yeah, I, we think he was down for, for one hour about before we managed to get him up. So he, it, like, it, it looks like his harness was down, like, on his, around his feet, not around his hip. And it looks like his, the rope was twisted around his legs. And it wasn't so, it was in the middle of the night. It was totally dark. So it wasn't so easy, but we, we saw him. He was close to us and it looked like he fell about five meters down. And from the trail here, he was hanging and probably three, four meters in. So it wasn't that he was very far away. It was just very hard to to manage to turn him. And it's very, very steep there. So it's um, it's probably the hardest place to save someone on 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 K2 and it's a very dangerous mountain and we know what happened there in 2008 when 11 people died the first one that died he died when he clipped around the Norwegian climber actually and we had to clip around to get him so it's it's not like it's very easy to just carry him and clip around all people coming up and it's not like you can say to everyone hey next one we are turning around it's a long line of people coming up and impossible to get past all those people and then it was was it pitch black the whole time night time from the beginning of the incident till the end yeah until we had to go to check on the fixing team it was totally dark and in this film that is published it's it's daytime and people are saying that i'm crossing him and i didn't uh so of course it's very uh, frustrating that it's all over the news and all over media saying that I did uh, step over him to reach the summit when we didn't. We tried to save him for hours and we think the accident happened 2 a.m. or between 2 a.m. and 2.15. And we have a lot of pictures and we have films about what happened. And we don't want to share that in media or in social media because I think an accident like that and, and people that are dying shouldn't be published out in social media. Um, and especially like if the family hasn't said it's okay. And then what is a fixing team? Um, is fixed, yeah, just so people can understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, in Nepal on this 8,000 meter, it's very often organized by uh, the tourist uh, office, the Ministry of Tourism in Nepal. So they, the companies in Nepal, they apply for getting the, the permit to fix on the mountains. And when we climb uh, on a mountain in Nepal, everyone pays a, a, a fixing, a, a permit fee. And in that permit fee, the money goes to the company that gets the permit to fix. So in Nepal, it's very organized. In in Pakistan, it's not that organized like that. So when we come to K2, um, we know that we have to help them fix, for sure. Um, and other uh, Sherpas and another friend of me was fixing up to Camp 3. And then it, it's, uh, it's less organized. And when we come to Camp 3, they are finished fixing to Camp 4. So to reach the summit, we need to help on the fixing. And we send the best shirts we have for that. So in in our, not in the whole Seven Summit team, but in our closest team, it was me and Gabriel and another climber called Nima. He's from Nepal and 17 years. So, and the three of us, we have three shirts. 
and probably the strongest Sherpas in the world. They are like really, really good. And they have been fixing on many mountains. Many, many of these have been fixing on Everest since they were very young. And they are like super good climbers. And for us, we know that they are capable of fixing the whole mountain itself because they are like amazing strong. Uh, they are well equipped and we send with them extra oxygen because fixing takes longer time. So when we are in camp three, we say, okay, we are three very good climbers and we have three very good Sherpas. So we give two Sherpas to fix because we, the three climbers of us, we only need one Sherpa with us because we can manage the climb ourselves. And it's like that up that if you're going to stay up on a mountain like K2, you have to be responsible for yourself in the end. And we send Ming Tenba and Makba hours before us to start to fix from camp four and up. And they do that together with Sherpas or Pakistani porters from other teams. And we didn't know Hassan before this, and we had never seen him before. So even he was uh, with the fixing team and fixing for, for everyone, as our Sherpa also was. Uh, we had no communication before with him or his company, or we had never seen him. And we would never have sent him on K2 to fix as his first 8,000 meter when he normally goes to base camp. And without a downsuit, without oxygen, it's just like you don't go up there. It's so much more risky to go without oxygen than to go with. And like on, on K2, we, we know it's a challenging mountain. So we send another bottle. Like normally the Sherpas use one bottle and I use one bottle. And normal climbers maybe use two or three. As we have for some less experienced climbers, we bring them three oxygen bottles. But it's, it's more to carry up. But normally... Like Lama had only one bottle on, on K2, but Mappa and Nintemba, we send two bottles with them. But for us also to give Hassan one bottle, we don't have extra mask and regulator. So when, when Gabriel gave him oxygen, he took off his own at 8,200 meter. And then to try to, to bring someone down, it's impossible. At least if you try, it's a very high risk that something goes wrong with you also. So it's it's not that easy to just say, just uh, save him and bring him down. It's it's not at all. Was Hassan a fixer, a Sherpa, a tourist, an athlete? Who was Hassan? Yeah, at that time, we didn't know anything. When he was hanging upside down, we just saw him hanging upside down and we saw that he wasn't proper equipped. But we had no idea who he was and would have done just the same if it was me hanging there because we did everything we could to to save him. And we know now that uh, he was a Pakistani porter that normally goes to base camp. And this is just information that's come out in, in media that he didn't have any experience on fixing and had never been on an 8,000 meter. And to send someone up there on K2 as the first 8,000 meter to fix and without oxygen, 
um, like when I have climbed 8,000 meters without oxygen, I am always with my Sherpa, Lama, and he bring emergency bottle and regulator and mask in case I'm not capable of climbing or if something happens. And to go up there as a part of the fixing team without oxygen and without downsuit, you should never have been up there. And Christine, for me in the audience, what is a porter? Yeah, so porter uh, normally carry up on the mountains. And some of the porters carry to base camp. Uh, it's a long trek into base camp. So, so normally they carry in there. And a high altitude porter carry from base camp and up. And sometimes we can hire uh, a Pakistani porter to help us to carry, for example, to camp one or camp two, and then they go down. And some people use Pakistani porter to the summits, but we have Nepali Sherpa uh, to go to the summit with us. So it's um it's different, and and the Nepali Sherpas are, as I see them, uh, stronger and more experienced. Yeah, I, I think the porters are okay to use to to base camp and maybe to the lower camps, but uh, not on the higher camps if they doesn't have like a lot of experience i know one pakistani porter that has been with uh, he hasn't been a part of our team but he has been on the summit to get like the same time as we have been and he is very very capable and very strong but he has a lot of experience and then christine what is the sherpa's role you know how there's three climbers three sherpas one for each what's their role mm. yeah it's a, it's a little bit different some um People go with more Sherpas and some people go with one and some actually go without also. Uh, I, I'm i not going without. I think it's much more risky to go without a Sherpa because I think it's always safer to be a team up there. You never know if an accident happened or if you don't feel good. So it's like a little bit depending on, on what you want and how strong you are. And of some of the climb I have done this year, we have, uh, we need more Sherpas and it's, like when we have been on some of the mountain where it's just been me as a climber, like no one else, we need um, a bigger team of Sherpa. So we have been from just me and Lama uh, to maximum five uh, people, like five Sherpas. So it's a little bit depending on the mountain and how the condition is and do we need to fix rope all the way? Is there other people on the mountain that makes uh, like the fixing easier to do with other uh, other uh, people and other Sherpas so uh, yeah depending on, on that it's uh, they are like uh, Lama my Sherpa he's uh, like amazing strong he can like carry so much and he's super fast and he's very very technical and of course he have uh, the equipment he he needs uh, to, to climb and yeah, just a very, very strong and, and like I have never seen a stronger Sherpa actually and then, than he is. And, and like super, super good climber. He's like super technical and been fixing so much and yeah, knows the mountains. Got it. So that means the Sherpas does everything from carry of the equipment, fixing, helping technically, helping put ladders and, and basically just guide the climber. Yeah, I think it's also depending on like how much uh, guidance do the climber need. Uh, 
some need help with some things and some need help with other things. I think for, for me and Lama, because we are very experienced and we have been like super fast, it's it's more about being a good team uh, together. And also on many of these mountains, since it's only been us, we have to carry more. And when it's just two of us, it, it means I also have to carry. And on eight of these 14 mountains, we have been first on the summit for a year. And that means we have to fix and we have to break trails and we have to navigate to reach the summit because most of the summit push we do in the dark we start in the evening and we summit early morning so and and i have the gps track from from last year on all the mountains so many of these mountains when we have been navigating in in the dark my job has been to find the right way but also lama is very interested in in the gps and finding the right way and, and finding the safest way so and that's maybe a little bit unnormal for um, for a Sherpa because normally they don't use GPS, but I think it's been very necessary for us since we have been so much in Kronk this year. That's amazing. So were there any mountains where you and Lama were fixing? So that means you were going in blind, not knowing. You had to do it yourself. Yeah, many of the mountains we have done that, many. And also we have been summiting without fixed ropes so much easier to climb on fixed ropes but when it's just been me and him and we know it's possible to climb without fixed ropes we use a main rope between us and climb with ice axe and and we have done that on, on several mountains also this year and of course it's uh, much harder but we don't need to fix. We don't need to carry rope up and we don't, it takes much longer time when we fix. So of course it's, it's different, but, um, but some mountains we have also climbed with just main rope. Wow. So when you're fixing, you have to carry rope and you lay it out and then now you can easily just follow along. When you main rope, what's, what does that mean? It means that uh, we have just a rope between us. So that means that we cannot just pull ourselves up with the rope. Mm. We have to climb. So when it's like that, uh, mm. Lama climb and I secure him, and then I climb and he secure me. And as that, we continue up. And it's much, much harder and you have to be really awake because if one is falling, you have to be, you have to hold him. So it's totally different climb. Much easier to climb on fixed ropes. How many times or were there times where you fell and then the other person is just holding and you get, is that common or rare? It's not so normal to climb on main rope, but we had one, one accident falling and we were three in the rope and uh, the other Sherpa, not me or not Lama, he fell, but we managed to have him. When Nims, Nims died, did it, was it all fixed or were there also some mountains where him and the team had to do main? I think it was just the same as we had. I think so. I, I'm not sure on all the mountains, but I think it was just that we also, some they had to fix ropes, some they went with main ropes and some it was already fixed. And then let's say there's four climbers. The first two people are fixing the, the number three and number four and number five. 
are they able to pull on the rope as if it was fixed or the same? Yeah, so we have to wait when, when they are fixing and they need to be finished with that length of rope before the climbers can come to next. So that's why when we climb behind the fixing team, it takes much more time. So mm. that's why we let the fixing team on K2 start hours before us. So at least they were across the bottleneck when we were coming up there because we don't want to be stuck in the bottleneck. Mm. And now we were because of the accident, we were stuck there for hours. How many other teams was on K2 besides your team? I'm not sure how many different team it was, but it's, uh, it's many different teams. Wow. So it was many different teams and it wasn't fixed yet. Yeah. Wow. And then what happened after? Did everyone have to go back down? Actually, we'll bring it back. So when Hassan came up and you guys brought him up, was he just exhausted, no energy and he couldn't move? What happened? After one hour of hanging, you got him up. Could he not stand? Yeah, he, because we already had left me and Nama to go to the fixing team to check if they were okay. So, but uh, he was all up on the trail. Uh, Gabriel got him up there, gave him more oxygen. He was unable to walk. He was alive, but uh, not in a good shape. And Gabriel was running out of oxygen. And his Sherpa was in front of the fixing. So he needed to catch up to get his oxygen bottle. And for, for him to turn around there and go down, it's almost impossible because of all these people coming up because then he had to clip around in this very dangerous area. So it's better to go up and get on the, I shouldn't say the safe side, but not under the Serac anymore at least. So I texted my team home and said, we have problems. And they called to Seven Summit Tracks, the company. And on the radio, we have radio contact inside our team. And Basecamp had got message that everyone was okay in our team. So on the summit, when we reached the summit after many, many hours, about 14 hours in total, almost 14 hours, I called my team home and asked, I tell them about what happened because they only got this message from me that we have problems. And they also saw that the GPS track was stopping up in the bottleneck. So on the summit, I call them and I ask, uh, like, and I tell about the accident and I ask, have you got any news about how he's doing? And they said, he's fine. And Gabriel came up and catched up with us on the summit. And I also asked him, did you manage to get him up all up to the trail? And he said, yes. And I said, is he alive? And he said, yes. Uh, but he's in a bad condition, he's in bad shape. And when Gabriel had to leave him, there were still other Sherpas and people working with him to save him. So it's absolutely not true that he wasn't trying to, to save him because it was. We didn't know that he was dead before we came down. So on the way down, we have to pass him and we see that he is dead. And we didn't have any idea before we, we saw that. And it's not possible to carry him down from there. It's, it's never, if he was below, maybe, but he's in the bottleneck and very challenging condition and no chance to carry him. When you said you went ahead to check on the fixer and the fixer was his Sherpa and the Sherpa, he couldn't come back to give him oxygen because there's too many people coming up. 
So there was many people going past him and no one could save him. Yeah, it's, it's impossible to carry him. It's not like, like on Everest, you have place around, like almost wherever you are on, on, on Everest, you have room around to be four or six people to carry, like all the way on Everest. And on here, you have no room for that. It's a very steep side on this side, and you have this Serac hanging over, and the trail is like super narrow and very hard to walk on that this year because the snow was so bad. So it's uh, it's not easy. And I I know, like in two thousand eight, when they tried to rescue someone from below the bottleneck, not in the bottleneck, but below, uh, they also fell, and more people lost their life. And it cannot be six people around here. It's like one in front and one behind. That's that's everything. So, um, yeah, it's, it's not possible to get him down. And when you went ahead to check on the fixer to see if they were okay, did you continue helping them fix? Did you wait and sort of just continue going up? What happened when you went around to check on the fixer? They wasn't very far away, but we didn't see them when we were working with Hassan and, and the avalanche came on the side. So we came here on the side and, and it came another avalanche on this side. So we knew the condition was very bad. And I was staying behind because there were several Sherpas in this fixing team. I think it was six when we catched up with them and they was terrified. And I asked the first one that we catched up with, uh, are you okay? And they said, yes, we are turning around, but it's not possible because of all the people behind. And we were standing there and Lama went in front to Makba and Mingtemba. So Makba and Mingtemba was in front of the fixing team and these other were behind. And Lama flipped around and goes up to Mingtemba and Makba. And Lama said, okay, I need to make one try to get uh, get over to a more safe, I don't know if it's more, more safe, but maybe it felt like. So he, he managed to get, get a little bit higher and then they continue. And after this place where these avalanches came, we come to a part where it's blue ice and a lot of ropes from, from last year and years before. So we use them to get higher up. And after that, we come to a part where it's a little bit more like not blue ice and there's a lot of snow and pretty steep. And as we walk on that ice, uh, on snow, it's also coming more avalanches. So we knew it was very bad conditions uh, up there and we yeah, had to just continue. And when we came over this very steep part, it goes a little bit not so steep and then it's steep again and very, very deep snow. So it took a long time to, like last year I used five hours from camp four to the summit. This year I used 12 from camp four. We only used two hours from camp three to camp four. But from camp four to the summit this year, we used 12, included the time we spent with Hassan, for sure. When you sort of went around Hassan, checked on the fixing team in the avalanche, how long after were you at the top? How long was that? Was that 10 hours, eight hours? Mm, so I think, like, we think that Hassan fell somewhere between 2 and 2.15. Uh, we have put up a timeline um, and... If we stayed one and a half hour from two, three, so I think 3.18, we got the message from the fixing team. And it was about two, we stopped up. 
So 3.18, I think is the time we got the message on the radio. And then it was short around the corner. Uh, so maybe it took us like 10 minutes to reach the 10, 15 minutes to reach some the, the fixing team. And let's say it was 3.30 then, 3.34, 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, 30, 10, 30. So it took us maybe seven, eight hours more to reach the summit from there. And that whole seven to eight hours, you guys are taking on the risk, being in the front, laying out the ropes, and everyone else is just, they can follow. So you guys are taking on the risk. Mm, yeah. And uh, like when we reached the summit, the two people have catched up with us. So everyone is one, one, long, 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 long line because going in front with snow up here, it's so much harder and it takes so much more time. So at that time, it was Mintemba, Lama and Makba that was changing on going as the first one. And then me and Nima came behind them. And then Gabriel, he was behind and he catched up on the summit. You said the snow is up to your shoulders? It was really steep snow somewhere. It was like crazy to walk in that. And, and like the, the, the place where I used maybe one hour last year took us four hours this year because of the, of the snow. So it was totally different condition this year. How are you walking with snow in your shoulders? Like how do you... How do you even move? Yeah, and also it's very steep, so it's not very easy. So the, the first person had the hardest job. So he has to get some snow away because you cannot like step up here. So he gets some snow away and then he steps and then he falls down and then he gets some away and then he steps. So going behind is so much more easy. Yeah. So that's why we changed on the, on the person in front. We changed on that. And then so someone else went to the top first yeah so we were on the top first yeah and then when you saw the ropes from the last year how do you know you can rely on the ropes and they're still good and and how do you how, how can you trust it yeah that's very hard but that was just on on the part where we had this blue ice because above that the ropes were under the snow some place we managed to get them up but most of the places we didn't and that's why when when we send someone to uh, fix the rope and they climb on the old ropes, we also secure them. And they often also use an ice axe. And it's not for everyone to do that. Absolutely not. It's You have to be a very, very good climber and Sherpa to, to do that. You shouldn't be in front fixing if you are not very capable and a very good climber. So the fixing team would remove all the snow, find the base the floor get like a thing hammer it in tie a rope around make sure it's strong and then go up and do again yeah it takes a long time much longer time and and it's not for every climbers to walk behind either because you have to know how the fixing is is working and normally the fixing team says that we don't want climbers right behind us so you know how like for a normal person, climbing Mount Everest is like a lifetime achievement. But Sherpas, they do it all the time. It's normal for them. It is. It is normal for them. Oh, let me see. Uh, they are like amazing, strong. And that's why I also wanted to, to share the record with 
with Lama. And of course, he's, he's very, very special. He's, he's amazing. Like, I never seen a strong Sherpa. So I wanted to, sh to share it with him because it means so much more to share something like this. It was just for myself, I wouldn't uh, care. <laughs> but it means so much more to share. But I also think that they, the, sh the Sherpas deserve to have the record. I think they do. And because they do an amazing job. Also for the climbers that are climbing without Sherpas. Because the climbers climbing without Sherpas, they also use the fixed rope that the Sherpas has been there and fixed in front. So um, I, I think we we are relying so much on them. And, and like if you go to Nepal and see the Sherpas there, at least in the serious company, they get well paid. And as I see most of the climbers, they really appreciate and they really give a lot of credit to the Sherpa also. So it's um it's uh, and and like I see Lama, he loves to climb. He, he loves the mountains. And I know that he wants something else for his kids because Lama has no education. He didn't go to school. And now the family is living in Kathmandu. He's living with his wife and his two boys. They are 15 and 13. And he wants them to be in Kathmandu to get education. So that's good because they, they never got it, but he loves to, to climb the mountains. And he already texted me now and asked, are you coming to Shishipangma and show you? <laughs> because, and then he said, you don't want to go if I'm not going. So, uh, yeah, so that's good. Yeah, because, you know, whenever someone climbs a mountain, they post on social media, they post a photos and a big achievement, but these Sherpas are doing it all the time. They're like professional athletes. And they are. And it's, they're so undervalued, underrated. Like if climbing Mount Everest once is an achievement, they do it like 50, a hundred times. And yeah. <laughs> the most, the most people won't have summit is, is uh, 27. Kamil Rita Sherpa, he has 27 summit now in total on Everest. But, but like, if you go to the serious company, like, like seven summit chats, the Sherpa get well paid. They are. They are building up like houses in Kathmandu. They are, they are, they are having a good life. It's not like they and they often they have enough money to to take care of the whole family, not just like the closest family, but because like the whole family because they they earn a lot. So, uh, but but of course there is probably other that doesn't get like the credit that they deserve and enough money for the job that they do. But most. The most company now they are paying very good to the to the sherpas what do you think it is like what makes a strong sherpa do you think it's they're physically strong is it mental is it they're just it's in their blood they enjoy that they're born in rates like what how are they so strong yeah like if we see on, on lama he's a machine if you go and see like his body he's like so strong and also Makbai Ming, Ming Temba they are amazing strong like they are just these really athletes in their body and of course they are very used to the altitude but we also see like how technical they are like how much energy do they use to climb this more technical part of, the, of these mountains because most of these mountains they are not very technical but you have 
parts where it's more technical. It's a lot of just walking in, in snow and and steep, but not very technical. But some parts are more technical and we see how fast do they manage that part. And of course that's for the climber too. And how much can they carry and climb? And uh, how much, uh, like, it's very easy to see how people are different in, in the mountains, especially for us that spend a lot of time up there. It's very easy to see. I do a bit of bouldering. So I know that the experienced people are very technical where, you know, they keep their arms straight, they use their legs, they use their toes. When it's overhang, underhang, they know what to do differently. Yeah. And it's very... You know they're very calm and there's a lot of skill when you're climbing a mountain what are the technicals is it based on your legs is it like how do you technically climb an, a mountain yeah it's it's pretty much the same as you have when you are climbing inside and bouldering on those technical parts so you can say like okay most it's not about how good technical climber you are but some part it is and it's very easy for us to see like how how fast people climb this technical part. Many places it's not very long. The biggest wall we have is on Nanga Parbat. We have the Kinshofer wall. It's a big, long, with many ropes up. Um, but most it's just short parts. And how fast you climb up there is very easy to see difference from like how fast you do it and how much energy it costs you to climb this technical part but of course we have a very heavy backpack many times and that makes it different and of course climbing on higher altitude also makes it very different <laughs> so uh, but it's easy to see how like it's much more easy if you are a good technical climber have all the mountains or how many of the 14 peaks has been successfully climbed without oxygen? I think all have been climbed without oxygen now. Not, not me, but uh, all have been climbed without oxygen. Not many people, like for example on Everest, it's a few people that have climbed it without oxygen. But uh, yeah, like a, it, it's, it's possible. But uh, I think um, if you see in general, like 90, 95% goes with oxygen. Got it. And with mountains like Mount Everest, Christine, it's so crowded. How do you do your challenge there? Are you clipping ahead and, and overtaking people? Are you picking the time where it's not crowded? What is your strategy? Mm. Yeah, I think I have three summits on Everest now. And two of the summits, it's been with zero people. Oh. Uh, so I think it's a little bit um, blown up in media about how crowded it is. Of course, it's people there. If you go in the season, and I think if you go to 8,000 meters in the season, you have to expect people and you have to accept that. And if you want to climb alone, there is plenty of mountains where you can be totally alone. And as we climb, I see that most often it's not a problem. And most people are taking care of each other and helping each other and are being careful to each other. So if someone is walking faster, um, normally it's it's no problem. And it's just like a few places like K2 on the bottleneck where it's not so easy to pass. And Hillary step on, on, on like it's small parts on all the mountains where it's not possible to pass. But most of the places it's room to pass somewhere. Wow. Thinking back to K2, 
does that mean Hassan is just, just still there today? He's just standing there. No one can do anything. He's just there. Yeah. But what probably will happen sooner or later is that uh, ice from the Sirak will bring him down. And then... We saw um, like a main difference on the Sirak compared to last year. It's changed a lot. It's coming ice off the Sirak and it's getting warmer and warmer and it's very um, uh, likely that at some point ice will hit him and bring him down. He's just sitting on the trail now or like, yeah, he's on the trail now. And there is uh, dead people above the bottleneck also, but it's not possible to get them down. Uh, there was an accident there last year, a guy that died below and he was carried down this year, but he was much, much lower on the mountain. He was... Uh, just above camp two. And then when the ice melts and the rock, the, the ice brings him down and he falls down, does that mean all the ropes, everything that's fixed will go down and then the next person has to refix everything again? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So on um, the accident in 2008, it's a, I shouldn't say it's a good movie, but it explains a lot about how dangerous this mountain is. So if you haven't seen it, you should see the summit. And the first accident that happens, 11 people died that day, in one day, the, the biggest tragedy on K2. So the first guy, he dies when he tried to clip around Cecilia's Gould in the bottleneck and he fell. And the next accident that happens there is that they are trying to carry him down from below, much lower, they are, four people are trying to carry him down and they fall and they die. And the last accident, or maybe not the last, but uh, much later, um, Cecilia and Lars summited 5 p.m. because of the problems that they had in the bottleneck. Normally, they would have been summited in the morning. So they summited in, in the evening, and they, Lars, uh, no, um, uh, Rolf had turned around. He didn't manage to go to the summit, but Lars and Cecilia did. So when they catched up with Rolf again, they go together under the bot, like the base rack in the bottleneck, and they are in the same rope. And the ice block comes down and hits Rolf, and the rope cuts like this, just. And the people above, when they coming down, there is no more rope there, so more people die because there is no rope in the bottleneck because it was cut by this ice block that came and took Rolf. And of course, Rolf is gone, like immediately gone, because of this that hit him and Cecilia and his wife was just meters away and Lars also and they managed to get down but Rolf is, is gone. And then do they have to undo main rope down? How do they get down when the rope they came up with disappear? Yeah it's very very risky but uh, like we, when we put up the rope we have an ice anchor and then a rope and then an ice anchor so if it's cut here, they, they need to manage to get the neither ice anchor until they are on a new rope. But it's just says a lot about how dangerous it is to be there if ice is coming. Because it, it like the rope is just poof. It's not like uh, you get some snow over you and the rope is still there and, and you survive. It you're totally finished. Christine, when you're climbing mountains, do you have any control? Because like if an avalanche comes. Like, there's not much you can do. Can you, like, check the weather beforehand? Can you look and physically see? Is it, like, 
do the experts have any control or are they also reliant on luck? Well, it's a very good question. I have climbed 28, 8,000 meter, and I don't think it's just luck. I think it is a little bit of experience and being in a good shape, but it's also like you have to follow the weather forecast and you have to be uh, like you have to have a plan, but you have to be flexible with that plan because the weather can change. Uh, we can like not be able to summit and we have to go down and try another time. And of course, I think the main thing is to be a good team together. It's a teamwork to make it happen to be safe. Now, let's say you climb on a day where it's perfect weather and an avalanche just comes because it was gravity and it was, it was going to fall, but the sun melted a bit. So now it's falling and it falls directly towards you. What can you do? Yeah, you can try to get away, but some, well, many places it's not no place to go if an avalanche comes. So I think um, um, good things to avoid avalanche is that you have to know a lot about the mountains and the snow conditions and when avalanches often comes. So if it's been a very heavy snowfall one evening and the next day look great with nice weather, you have to avoid the avalanche area until the snow has come down. So maybe it's great weather, but you have to wait one day for the avalanches to come. So uh, it, it's not so... It's not just like, okay, it's snowing, we have to wait. You have to know uh, when it's avalanche risk and where it is. And some places we know that, okay, here it's still a risk. So here we have to be very fast and we have to be one by one. Not many people on the snow condition. And yeah, you have to be awake and, and know the mountains and, and know the snow. Now, Christine, climbing the 14 peaks, can any fit young person pay a lot of money get the best sherpas and do it themselves or do you have to require some training as the climber yeah i i would absolutely recommend to have training like technical training and it's not like everyone uh, can do it for sure i'm sure but you also have to be in a physical shape to do many 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 days after each other that is very long like when we did the, the nine mountains in Tibet and Nepal, we did nine mountains in 45 days. We had one summit every fourth day. And normally it takes you six to seven days to summit and get back to base camp. So you have to be in a very, very good physical shape and you have to be uh, ready for maybe eight hours one day and then you sleep a short night and then you do maybe seven hours and then you maybe rest for three hours and then you do 24 hours and the next day you move to the next base camp and then you start to climb again so of course it's not for for everyone for sure how are you climbing for like 24 hours like i'm just thinking of you know maybe i had a long 10 hour day and i'm driving and i'm getting tired and i'm i'm, I'm trying to stay awake but it's it's and i'm struggling and I'm relaxing in my nice, comfortable car, but you're climbing for 24 hours. How? It's very, very hard. It is. So you have to be, your body has to be ready for that. So I don't think people should start out on all 8,000 meters without a proper, solid ground training for this. And it, it's not, uh, like sometimes I've been so tired, I feel I'm climbing and sleeping at the same time. And 
And yeah, it's been like I've been twice in hospital in in the car in the spring because I was just too tired and too dehydrated. No, it's it's not not very easy to to do that, and you have to be in physical good shape. And what we see on typical mountains like Everest, where pretty normal people comes in, and for, for me that's okay. Let people climb. <laughs> yeah, I think it's good. But what we see is they are capable of one long day and two long days after each other. But when you're doing three and four and five, uh, yeah, you see people get more tired. What type of food are you eating? Like, how do you absorb enough carbs and calories because you're exerting so much energy? Yeah, you don't. You lose a lot of weight. So for me, it's always important to have some extra kilo before I start. So I'm capable of doing that. But the main thing is to drink enough water. Because if you get dehydrated up in the altitude, it's very dangerous. So you have to make sure that you drink enough. That's more important than the food. Wow. And then, Christine, you would climb up, you'll climb down, and instantly you would fly to the next location. Is it pre-booked? How did you... Do you just buy the ticket when you go down? Is your team handling that? Do you get, like, a helicopter? Yeah, the team is, is fixing that. So they have to be in contact with us the whole way to make sure. And... Sometimes it's a helicopter in between the base camps and sometimes it's walking. It's uh, it's not always uh, flying in between. It's also uh, like we did on Gashedrom. We summited there, came back to base camp one evening and then we next day went was walking for 12 hours to reach the next base camp. And then we rested some hours in base camp and we started to, to climb. So you have to be prepared for that. After you finished the challenge, or were there mountains that you finished where you just slept for like 20 hours? Does that happen? Does your body catch up and sleep and sleep for 24 hours? Mm, not like 24 hours. We, we have normally no time for such long. But, but for me, I'm, I'm so used to it. So I need one long night and then I'm pretty fine, actually. Wow. But that's just because my body is so used to it. I get more tired of sitting in the office and doing nothing than to climb. That makes sense. Christine, how much did it cost to do the whole 14 peaks? You had your team, you had all the Sherpas. Like, how much does it cost to do a mission or a campaign like this? Yeah, and if you do it twice, it will cost you about 1.5 million US dollar. Crazy. That is insane. What was the most expensive part? Um, the most go to the company that organized, and that often includes permits, uh, helicopters, Sherpas. We also pay for each mountain, we pay uh, for equipment to the Sherpas to make sure that they have what they need because they, they need to like, be well equipped and they need to be paid good. And we also give them summit bonus, so they get extra. And yeah, base camp service, food, oxygen, yeah, many, many costs that um, yeah, make this very expensive. Yeah, because I haven't done enough research, but like climbing Mount Everest, there might be packages for like 20, 30, 40, $50,000. And yeah. that's one mountain, but wow, 1.5, that is, that's such a big investment, but it makes sense having the, the filming, the camera people, the team to organizing. Like, wow, that, that is such a 
big investment and it makes sense. It's, it's this big campaign. Yeah, it is. It's very expensive. And out of the 14 mountains, what were some of the tough conditions that you had to climb in? Were there any climbs where it was nighttime and it was hailing? What were some of the tough conditions, Christine? Yeah, I think uh, the condition is, is everything. Like last year, the hardest time was on Manaslu. Actually, we had very, very bad snow condition there. And last year, actually, K2 was one of the easiest we had. But this year, for sure, that K2 was very, very challenging with the condition we had there. So I think it's always the weather and the condition that decides how hard this mountain is. Coming back and finishing, actually, even throughout the last two years, Christine, did you learn anything about yourself or were there any big sort of light bulb sort of spiritual moments where you're like, wow, like this is something you learned through this tough journey? Oh, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been so, so much. It's hard to say, say one thing, but um, yeah, I mean, yeah, like the main thing is I think the teamwork that, uh, yeah, it will have to be a good team to make uh, things happen. And when you mean teamwork, do you mean communication, talking? Because like there's yeah. there's the, the team that's helping you with the radio and then there's the team that's on the mountain. And then you probably have, mm-hmm. yeah, like what do you mean? What was the biggest impact? Like what would help? Take, what, what did you learn from that, I guess? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's, uh, it's all the part of the team. It's not just me and Lama that needs to communicate good. Then we need to like climb good together but it's a lot about that the team in base camp need to work good with us and the team home needs to work uh, with us and with uh, sponsors and with the team we have on the ground and and to like have control on everything and how much that affects how this is going since you've been so focused in the last two years or the last few years on this sort of campaign now that you're back, now that things are finished, is there like, I, what's the plan for the next five to 10 years? If you're not too sure, is that stressful being uncertain? Yeah, what's the next chapter hold? Yeah, I'm totally finished with, with the climb on the high mountains for sure, but I'm going to do some more running in the mountains. And uh, yeah, I will be working on speeches for sure. and. To get the story out and also it will be a book and we're also working on a, a documentary so we have been filming the whole way so it will be a film also i think it will take more than two years to to get it out so i guess the next two years will be, be busy with uh, with this project and uh, yeah let's see after i'm not sure <laughs> and then christine have you been learning yourself on like finding the right team for the film finding the right publishers to help with the book and then sort of, yeah. have you been just basically been an entrepreneur and a business person trying to figure everything out yourself? Yeah, yeah. So you have to do that. But I also have a very good uh, manager and a very good marketing team. So they are taking care of a lot and trying to hold control of my calendar and everything that's going to happen and happens now and who is important to, to get an interview with and who is not. Yeah, it's great to have them. And then I remember, I, I don't know if maybe your marketing team was on it, but I think we reached out to you on LinkedIn and then you replied and sent me the, the, the email of your team. I don't know if that was you, but you were like quite active on socials throughout this tough journey somehow. Yeah. 
Yes, of course, we have to do some social media and, and things also. But I think now we will just keep it keep it quiet for a while because it's been so much uh, negative and so much uh, people blaming us for the accident. And uh, yeah, we just need to let it calm down a little bit. Yeah, because I think when I messaged you, it was maybe a month ago and you haven't finished it. So you must have been somewhere in the mountains in transition but you're still replying and, and, and on top of your messages, which is quite surprising. Yeah. yeah, we have to try to to keep up with all the messages that we get in there. And sometimes we have signal in between mountains and, and like in Pakistan now, he was waiting 12 days for permits. So we had some time down there to work and yeah, so it's okay. That's cool, yeah, because I think I've even seen like some articles or you did some interviews, maybe, I don't know if it was in between, but you were like, active you're like working in the middle of your challenge yeah yeah yeah, yeah. we have to have to do something in between also <laughs> christine tell me about mountain running uh, you know rec- i know like about marathon running i know about hiking but mountain running is different yeah it is and now i'm going to run it's called uh, the sherpa stairs up so it's very short just very steep um, going in a stair up and the next weekend I have a short, another short, uh, just very steep, and then a longer, a 50k in the mountains. With, uh, yeah, so, but I think for me it's better the longer it is because I've been having so much long sessions now, so I think that's better than the, the short ones. So I really love to, to run in the mountain, and for sure I'm going to do more of that. Do they have competitions for mountain running? Is, it, is there like an industry for that? Yeah, so it's uh, either this sky running or trail running competition. It's a lot, lot of that. So I will do more of that for sure. I'm curious, you know how people do marathons? And since you've climbed so many mountains, is that easy for you now? I think if it's marathon mountain, I, I hope that will be good for me. I did a 10k on the, on the street last week and that was like way, way, way too fast for me and way too short. So, but now I do this long, longer race in the mountains and I think the longer it is, the better it is for me actually now. Yeah, because you have all these unique advantage, like all the competitors, no one would have climbed 14, 18,000 plus. Like you have that experience and you could like, what, can you use that experience to have a competitive edge? Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure. Let's see, but I haven't been running and it's a little bit different than to to climb so i'm not sure if i get the good feeling on the (laughs) running but let's see prior to when you quit your job were you into running or climbing did you have much experience in those two things not so much climbing but i did running and skiing in the mountains so uh so i've done that a lot before and a lot of competitions with with running in the mountains and ski racing and also so i will do more of that in the future now Christine, a lot of people who are watching, we have an entrepreneurial business audience, some people that might be working in a nine to five and they're not that passionate and they're scared to take that leap. What advice do you have for them? Mm, I think it's just to jump out of it. And, and many of the reasons why we don't do that is that we are worried about how will we get enough money to manage. And normally at least if you if you live in in Norway you will survive and it will make some different that you will change and that will probably 
or hopefully get you in in a place where you want to be and you can still earn money so you will survive but we are capable of surviving and and changing much more than we believe we just have to jump what's i know your long-term focus is like the book the sort of speeches the movie what's your main goal and focus in the next say three to six months now that you're back yeah now it's just to get enough money to pay the bills <laughs> so it will be speeches and, and things like that for sure yeah that's awesome and any recent discoveries especially now that you from that challenge that you've implemented to your day-to-day life <laughs> well I, i'm not sure yet because it's been like unnormal situations since I came home. So well, let's see in a couple of weeks how, how it turns out. Thank you so much, Christine. I, I really appreciate your time today. Christine, where can people follow you, find more about your journey and sort of get more of you? Yeah, so it will be on LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram and also my homepage. And Hopefully you can see the film and read the book out soon also in like a couple of years. Thank you so much, Christine. I really appreciate it. I could see how passionate you are with sort of your mission, especially with trying to show that, you know, what women can do. And you've, you've done, you've, you got the record. So it's so amazing. And also just to see how daring you are. You, you took the leap, you know, it takes a lot of confidence and it's so inspiring but at the same time you're really humble and you really want to give credit to the sherpas and you really you know you, you tried your best with the sort of situation the climber and, and you really wanted to help and you know no wonder the social media like you know who you are and, and the social media they're saying the complete opposite and then that's when it hurts the most when when it's the opposite so yeah yeah thank you so much thank you christine i really appreciate your time today it was it was so inspirational so cool to learn about the whole mountain climbing and get into the technicalities i think the audience will learn a lot guys if you made it this far thank you so much for your time hopefully you guys learned something got some value from today's episode guys i'll see you guys next week with another episode peace